Welcome to SCD Church's podcast. You can always join us for our live services Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings out in our West Auditorium. You can also tune into our services live online at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages. Thanks so much for listening. All right, so here's what I want you to do. Turn to somebody and tell them three things you don't believe anymore. Three things you used to believe, you don't believe it anymore. Go. It's kind of weird. Last night, there's a lot of giggles. This morning, I'm hearing some giggles. Nine o'clock, nothing. <laughs> Very funny. I mean, there's some obvious ones, right? There's the guy in the red suit around December. Don't want to describe in case our kids in the room. But, uh, you know, another guy when your tooth falls out. I never figured out was a guy or a girl. Is that one? I don't know which one that one is. Uh, okay, and, and, and a, a, a bunny that lays eggs or something. I don't remember. There's, Anyway, there, there are things that we don't believe in. A part of growing up is you don't believe in certain things anymore. Uh, that's just part of growing up, myths and fairy tales and so on. And then there are other things, more serious things that you learn aren't true either. Uh, there was a, I found this online, and it, it's things that people were taught in grade school that they don't believe anymore. I, I was surprised by some of them. One is that all fat is bad for you, right? Or that uh, Washington's teeth were made of wood. I still thought that. That's not true. Anyway, um, that the food pyramid works, uh, that your permanent record will follow you. It's not true. Some of you are here today. Obviously, it doesn't follow you. <laughs> that you won't always uh, have a calculator on you, so you need to learn your, your times tables. Turns out you will have a calculator on you at all times. Don't need to know any of them. But anyway, um, that you'll only use 10% of your brain. I was accused of using even less than that on occasion. Um, that we will run out of oil by the year 2016. Someone said they learned that in school. Um, I think the next two are written by uh, a younger group, uh, but maybe not. Uh, that the U.S. government prevents abuse of power through a well-engineered system of checks and balances. <laughs> and this one is definitely written by... Uh, at least a millennial, if not someone younger, that if you study well, have excellent grades, you will end up with a nice job and lots of money. <laughs> so one of the things we do is we come to church to worship God, to fellowship with each other, and to learn. But I want to suggest to you that maybe that there are some things we need to unlearn as well. Maybe there are some things that we have learned, maybe even not even known that we have learned them. They've been inculcated in us uh, by our society, by our culture, by our parents, by whomever, and they're not true in the end. Whenever I find that the trouble of the world, the challenge of the world are beginning to not only weigh me down um, because of the hopelessness, because I can't fix them, I don't know if anybody can fix them, and I begin to feel that I am living under those circumstances, I need to remember who I am and who God says I am. Christ didn't come and die for me that I could live the rest of my life under the circumstances. Here's what it says in Scripture, in 1 John. Everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. How about John 16? I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. You will. You live in a fallen world. Bad things are going to happen. 
They're going to happen around you. They might happen to you. Bad things are going to happen. But take heart. I have overcome the world. The reality is, as Christians, we are not called to live underneath the circumstances of the world. Bad things will happen, but we know the outcome. We know that God is in control of the eternal outcome of what will happen to us. If nothing else, we have that. So, um, much of what we have allowed to drag us down, it's not that we shouldn't be realistic or know what's happening in the world, is that we have believed some things, we have learned some things that just aren't true. Today I'm going to give you three things you need to unlearn and three things you need to relearn, uh, I think will help all of us um, to live as overcomers, as victors, victors, not victims, and, uh, and I think may lighten our load. The first one is conventional wisdom. We need to unlearn conventional wisdom because it may be conventional, but it may not be wisdom, right? The reality is, is there are certain things that we just automatically believe, we assume, whether on a conscious level or, or somewhere further back in our brain, but they may not be true at all. Uh, so here's what 1 Corinthians says. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? So what do you mean? What's the example? Wisdom of this world. Get uh, famous and rich. That's the point. If you get famous and rich, you'll be great. You'll be in good shape. Everything will be great. Well, the problem is that may be the exact opposite of what's best for you. What if you were to get rich and famous and all it did was insulate you and resource you to follow your deepest, darkest temptations and nobody would call you account for it. I mean, that would never happen. The reality is, is that some things, some assumptions we have about life just are not true. They may not be what is best for us. Maybe conventional wisdom is just the blind leading the blind off a cliff. See, there are things that we just kind of assume. We just say, yeah, it's good to have lots of money. Is it? Maybe for somebody it is. Maybe for somebody else it's not. But we can't assume things. We need to look at them and look at Scripture. The Bible says you got lots of money. It's a little harder to get to heaven. Not because you have the money, but because you give in to temptation. The reality is, is conventional wisdom may not be wisdom at all. What if the point of life is not to accumulate and acquire goods and material items and money? What if it is about to experience God, to observe his creation, to enjoy what he's provided for you, and to love others? What if that's the real point? That's a different worldview. That's not conventional wisdom. That is biblical wisdom. So we may need to set conventional wisdom aside and realize that there is another way to live. Um, and there's a second thing that we need to unlearn. Not only conventional wisdom, we need to unlearn the conforming skills. We've been led to believe that if I can fit in with some crowd somewhere, that that's the point. I'll just conform to whatever it is, and I will fit in. But what if what you're trying to conform to or fit in with is completely wrong? So I have, I have this thing. One of the ways I waste time is I watch videos about woodworking. I like to make sawdust in my garage, and, uh, and I like to learn from these guys. And, and usually it's a fairly simple thing. They've got a project. They show you the project. They do a little bit of it, and they finish it off camera, and they go, this is what I did. You know how to do that. I won't show you that. And then they finish it, and it's done in 15 minutes, right? There's this one, uh, one uh, content creator that I watch, and he's, he's a craftsman, metal and wood, and he loves restoring really old items. And, uh, 
and I, I've, I've tried to watch him several times, and I can never get very far in his videos. So most of these videos are 15 minutes long or so. His are an hour, right? And, and, and they're very different. So it, it comes on, there's, uh, there's, it's an hour with, uh, with no music, no talking. So right off the bat, you're like, oh, this is, whew. all right. So, so but he, he starts by showing you the project he's going to work on. And it, it's usually pretty interesting, something very cool. Uh, like one of them was this old wooden plane that he, he redid and put a brass bottom on it. It's really beautiful. And, but, and you could see what he was going to work on. And, but then it cuts away and it starts the video and it starts with him making coffee in an ancient coffee maker. You'll later find out he restored. And he's making coffee and he immediately goes and sits in a chair by the front of his, his shop. Now you need to understand his shop. His shop is like, is cave-like. You don't ever really see much of the walls. You see little pieces of it. And outside the front opening, it's not really a door. It's just kind of an opening, almost like a cave. You can actually see Roman arches. So I, I think he's somewhere in Turkey. I think he is because it's ancient. And the walls are ancient walls that plaster and fall off and a little brick showing here and stuff. Ancient in some stone. It, it's very dark. The whole thing is dark. And it's very, uh, like cinematography is one of his deals, really, because he, he just shows it. So the opening of this thing is he comes and he makes coffee and he pours it and you hear the pouring. And, and he goes and he sits on a chair next to a pot that's got a half-dead orange tree. And you can hear the seagulls and the kids playing. And he's drinking his coffee. And I'm thinking... Dude, when are you going to do the thing? <laughs> Here's my problem. Even when I'm wasting time, I want to do it quickly. <laughs> and, so, and so the first three or four times I tried to watch this, I didn't get past the coffee. So finally I get past the coffee and he, he puts the coffee and he rinses this saucer, which is an ancient, some really fine dining saucer and, and cup. And he rinses it out and he places it in its spot and he goes and he gets his tools, which are in their spot and he brings them and he slowly undoes them and still no music, no talking, just slowly undoes them and he begins to take things apart and he brushes it off and then he, he brushes off the bench and he puts the tools back slowly in the exact spot they belong and whenever the camera removes the file to put the tools back you see really ancient old mirrors with gold leaf and you see all this old really cool stuff in the background and then he gets the new tools it's very meticulous and methodical and he brings it back and about the time I'm ready to go nope can't do it it dawns on me what's going on he's not doing a video about repairing a wood plane he's doing a video about how to live life differently the speed of the video and the lack of noise is on purpose. The whole thing, the speed with which he moves, the, the shot, everything's dark except for just what you're looking at. The whole thing, the whole kind of uh, feel of the deal is not about fixing things. Because he could fix the thing really quick. It's about enjoying the work, doing it at speed, and enjoying the tools you work with and the stuff you have around you. What he's doing is he is challenging an entire world who believes that you've got to be in a hurry because you've got to be busy because that makes you important and being important makes you feel good about yourself. He doesn't fight the traffic on the freeway. I guarantee he lives within a block or maybe upstairs from the shop, <laughs> right? He's not fighting traffic. He doesn't need to pay the bills of a car. He walks down, he puts on his apron, he gets his cup of coffee in the morning, sits down for a few minutes, enjoys the sunshine, does some work. And if you keep watching this video long enough and, you know, you tie yourself to a chair somewhere, 
And I, so I decided I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna as, a, as a matter of discipline, I'm gonna watch this thing. So he goes back to work and he does a little this, a little that, and he gets some things done. It's very interesting. He gets something, and then he puts his tools down and he walks away and he makes tea this time. <laughs> and I'm like, what is with the coffee, the tea? Fix the thing. Come on. I'm here to see the thing. Even though I know what he's doing, I still can't slow down to enjoy it. And he gets, and so he gets done with that. And then, and then out of the blue comes a shot out of the kind of the cave opening of a shop. And it's a beautiful woman. I'm assuming she's beautiful. You only see part of her uh, in a nice dress. And, and she was carrying a tray and she comes down. You never see her face. She comes down. Next thing you see, she's putting a tray on his bench and it's got oranges and some cheese. And so he puts down his tools, takes off his apron, hangs it in its spot. He grabs the orange. He goes, sits in his chair. He's peeling it and he's eating it. And he's looking at the birds and I'm going, what he's trying to do is say your life isn't the only way to live there is even a possibility that you live your life for reasons you don't even know did you choose to do this did you one day sit down and say i'm going to live in a place where i have to be on the freeway every day where i have to fight with millions of other people to get from point a to point b where I have to pay housing prices that are unheard of and ridiculous, that I'm going to bid for a house against people, I don't know where they got their money. Did you ever sit down and decide that? And if you doubt that that's a real question going on, there's a whole lot of other videos, if you don't like woodworking and oranges, there's a whole lot of other videos of people homesteading, going off grid, living in their van, traveling on a sailboat, all of those are trying to find a different lifestyle, realizing they have options. Now, the problem is, I don't think any of them found what they're really looking for. They may have found some degree of it, but even that guy who walks downstairs to his, his cave shop, he's still got bills to pay. And, but here's my point. There are people who live very different than you. I know a family who makes almost no money. I recommend it. I can tell you how to make some money with what you guys do. So we don't want to make any more money. That would be distracting. We want to raise our kids and love them and love each other. Why you don't want to make more money? That's a, that's an American. <laughs> Reality is, is that we live lives that we didn't necessarily intentionally choose. The Bible says there's a different way to live. You can adjust. You cannot. You don't need to live your life whipped back and forth by every newscast that you see. You don't need to live your life under the circumstances of problems you can't solve and weren't expected to ever. There is a different way to live your life. And that's why we have scripture, is to read scripture and go for biblical wisdom and not just conventional wisdom and conforming to what conventional wisdom or our society would tell us. I don't know if it would lead you to do something drastic, but it can certainly keep you out from under the circumstances, remembering that you're an overcomer. Let me read this in Romans 12 too. A very familiar, famous passage. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The pattern of this world is whatever fashionable false narratives exist at the time you live that would detract you from living God's best for, your, for you in your life. Those are the fashionable sins of your day. Don't live according to that pattern, but be transformed, not conform, transformed. The word here is the same as a butterfly, some butterflies, I know not all. I've been corrected on that maybe before. Um, and moths, when they come out, 
of the cocoon, and they are completely different, and they fly. The picture here is that God, through the renewing of our mind, changing the way we think, makes us into a whole new person, no longer bound by old expectations and old patterns, no longer conforming to those things. Um, in this, this transforming, not conforming, we need to think differently. We need to think God's idea of what life looks like, not circumstance, not uh, conventional wisdom, not the world around us. I have a, a friend who's a pastor. Old, he's a little bit older than me. And, um, and, and his ministry now is primarily encouraging young pastors. And, um, and I got on his, uh, his text list. He sends out a couple of texts Sunday morning and uh, Wednesday. Unfortunately, they arrive at 5 o'clock in the morning and wake me up every Sunday morning. Um, but there, when I first began to get these, I began to, uh, I, I kind of, because I have a special gift, the gift of cynicism, um, I just have it in abundance. And uh, not everybody has the gift, but I have it. And so as I begin to read these texts every week, I begin to think, this is like rah-rah stuff. You know, it's like, you're doing great, I'm for you. Yeah, whatever. And None of you are like that, I know. It's just me. I'm the only one with the gift. And, uh, but then I began to realize something. I began to know this person better, and, and I, I've known them for a long time, but know them better and to know more about their life and the, the absolute sincerity and vulnerability of their journey, I began to realize he writes these things not just to encourage the young pastors, but for himself, for the renewing of his mind. He's not unaware of what's happening in the world. He's actually much more closer to the seats of power in the world than I am. Much more influential in those kinds of things that you and I are tempted to worry about but can't do anything about it. He has those, the ears of many of those people. And yet, he spends his time thinking about God's word, God's intention, renewing his mind, rather than dwelling on what's not good and what's not right and what needs to be fixed. He chooses first to dwell on God's word, God's promises, God's goodness, and then what he's got left over, he'll address whatever's around him. And I realize that what I'm seeing in this person is not rah-rah at all. It is him sharing with others the transformation in his thinking. Because at the end of the day, no matter what the vote is taken next week or who gets elected to whatever, you and I are going to rise. At the end of the day, you and I know what's going to happen to us as Christians. Why spend, if you took your account, if you're honest, we hook a machine up to your thoughts, what percentage of your thoughts are about the troubles in the world versus God's goodness? It is shocking. I've kind of monitored myself on this. It's embarrassing. No wonder I'm depressed half the time. I'm thinking about the wrong stuff. The renewing of your mind. Get rid of the conventional wisdom. Quit conforming to the world you live in. God's got something better for you. And quit listening to the condemning voices. The, whether it's tapes playing from your family of origins or it's everybody. You know, we, we have so many people that are just feel called to ridicule others in our society. That's their life's calling, to sit in their mother's basement, in their pajamas, and tell you and I why we're not doing it right. Bunch of weenies. <laughs> Did I say weenies? I meant to say weenies, yeah. That's what I meant, yeah. And since when did it become a legitimate thing to sit around and just criticize? How, do you, we, we have actually gotten feedback. We don't get a lot of this, but every once in a while. We actually have gotten feedback that we didn't say our prayer right in the, in the service. I was talking to God, not you. <laughs> Who are you? You're judging my prayers? Take a leap. 
If you listen to the world around you, you will end up disappointed, discouraged, and depressed. Because it's not healthy out there. It's not healthy. The whole world is about tearing each other down so somehow they can elevate themselves. Quit taking that stuff in. It's not good for you. It's not godly. It's not healthy. Quit listening to the condemning voices. Here's what it says in Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Somebody said, well, Doyle, you're not all that great. You're not kidding me. I'm t- I know. Well, Doyle, you're, yeah, probably. Well, you, I know. But you know what's great? God's forgiven me. And with his help, I'm getting better. And there's no condemnation. See, there's conviction. When I sit down with God, or I hear a sermon, and they hit on something, a little sore spots. Oh, I felt that one. Oh, oh, it's very specific. Conviction of the Holy Spirit is very specific. It says, Doriel, this thing, this attitude. You and I, the Holy Spirit, says, we need to fix that. Condemnation is you're a terrible person. You're awful. I was skiing in, in Mammoth one time, and I was coming down the mountain, and a, and a cloud rolled in. It was so bad, you literally... I, I'm going downhill. I have no idea how fast I'm going. I'm barely standing up. I actually passed an adult, like almost hit him. And as I went by, I heard them crying. But by the time I stopped, they were already, was, I couldn't find him. I got to what I thought was mid-mountain. I ran into the lodge at the bottom. I'm as good as ran right into it. That's how thick the fog was. That's what condemnation's like. It sits on you and it goes, you're an awful person. You're terrible. The world's a terrible place. The sky is falling. It is hopeless. Be depressed. And the fog of heaviness and depression sets in. That's not from God. You need to remember who you are. You're more than conquerors. You're in Christ Jesus. With the help of the Holy Spirit, command that to go. I'm not, I'm not giving in to condemnation because there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. I will accept conviction all day long. Lord, you show me. We'll work on it together. That's how I grow. But I'm not accepting a heaviness. That's not from God. And what I feel from our society especially online, it's just condemnation of everybody everywhere all the time. If you listen to that, you'll be afraid to go out of your house. But you're a Christian. Let me go one further. As a Christian, you know what gets canceled? Your sin, your past, your shame. You can't get canceled. God, God put you here. See, I, I, don't, I don't work for people. I work for God. You can't cancel me. God can correct me. I can experience consequences of being stupid. I do all the time. But that's my own deal. That's between me and God, right? I, there is no condemnation. I don't accept it. I don't receive it. That's your problem. The reality is, if I need to hear something and I need to learn from it, it'll be specific. It'll be direct. It'll be obvious. This other stuff is just to bring me down, to put me, once again, under the circumstances. Now, I don't know if you heard uh, what I said there, but it was really good. And you should take it home this week. Now, there's some things. Those are three things we didn't unlearn. Let me give you three things we need to relearn, re-own, recommit to as Christians. The first one one is we need to be reconvinced of his lordship. We get our eyes so much on what's happening in the world and the troubles around us, and they're real. Um, They're temporal, but they're real. But the reality is, is that God is still in charge. Romans 8, 37 says this. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. 
The truth is there is nothing that can separate you from God. There is nothing that can pull you away. You are a child of God. And the most important thing about you is not where you come from. It is not what is done, what you've done. It is not what has been done to you. The most important thing about you is you are walking with your friend, Jesus Christ, your savior, your redeemer, your provider, your protector. That is the most important thing. And nothing can separate you. Why don't, we, why, don't we, why don't we live that way? Because we don't really believe it. On some level, we believe that God is good enough to take care of our eternity, but probably not big enough to handle what we're facing right now. That's the sad truth for me. Maybe it's not true for you, but if I truly believed in his lordship, then I would trust him with a whole lot more in my life. There's a guy named Charles Finney. He was a, he was a preacher. He, got, he became a Christian, and he became a traveling itinerant preacher back in the late 1700s into the mid-1800s. And um, he would just go into a town and just tell people about Jesus and his experience of what, how it changed his life. Uh, and, and he came to faith in Jesus. And he, and, and he was writing some, some letters to, uh, to other clergymen and, uh, based on some talks he'd given at a meeting. And I found these letters recently online, and I began to read some of them. And, and one of the questions was, why do... And, and he begins to describe some of the miraculous things he'd seen. And the question that had been put to him, why don't more people see this? And he said two things. A, you don't ask God. And not just a one time before you eat your meal, kind of ask God. But spend time with God, seeking his word, finding his promises, asking God, and then being obedient to live differently. And then he gives a list of all the things that could be distracting. And they're all just kind of conventional wisdom things, putting too much uh, emphasis on money, spending too much time making more money. He just lists a bunch of stuff that are frighteningly similar to the kind of things we would, we would list now. He says, you've got to think less of those and more of God and ask God. And if you are prayed up, God will do amazing things. And he tells these stories. They're really interesting stories. Now, when he, he goes into this town and they take him to the manufacturing sector. It's really a, a big room with a bunch of women weaving um, material. And he walks in and he said, I'm just standing there. I haven't said a word yet. And I noticed that the women are, are kind of snickering and giggling and whispering to each other. And I could tell they're making fun of me. And he's thinking, what? Well, that doesn't hurt my feelings. But what, hurt, what upsets me is that I care more about their eternal soul than they do. And he said, as I'm saying, they're beginning to pray, Lord, help them understand. Help them understand what's really important. And suddenly one of them stopped laughing and started crying. And it began to spread through the room because people began to understand. They'd heard about this guy. They knew what he was about. And they began to think beyond just the silliness of the situation to what he was going to talk about. And then he began to share about God's love and what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And change came through that community. Another story he tells, he goes into a community and the, the, just walking into town, the vulgarity of the conversation was shocking. He said, I was depressed. I didn't want to speak. I didn't want to talk to anybody, but I was there to do it. So I started speaking and I started off by telling him, the profanity I've heard today in your town tells me about the condition of your soul and their lack of love for each other. And you people need to know God. And he said, and the people began to soften. They began to, a tear appeared here and there. And he began to tell them, but Christ dying on the cross, John three sixteen. 
At that same meeting, an old gentleman comes to me and says, I live in a little community over here just a few miles away, and I don't think, and he's an old man, he said, I don't think we've ever had a religious service in our community. Would you be willing to come talk to us? And Finney says, yes, I, I would do that. And he comes, the appointment's made for Monday, 5 o'clock, and he goes there. And on his way, it is so hot. He is just, he, he is, it's terrible. It's just so hot. And he sits down beside the road and says, I don't think I make it. It's just too hot. I think I'm going to faint. And he says, even if I get there, I'm going to be so exhausted, I, I won't have anything to say. And so he finally struggles and he gets there and he goes to the biggest building in town, which is the schoolhouse, one-room schoolhouse, and it's packed. And he walks in and he sits down and they decide to sing a hymn. And it was apparent they'd never ever service there because it was the worst singing he said he'd ever heard. He said the singing was so bad, he leaned forward with his knees, his, his elbows on his knees and covered his ears. It was so bad. And he said, finally, to my relief, they quit singing. And at the point I was exhausted, I actually just fell out of my chair forward onto my knees and said, God, I don't know what to do. He said, in that moment, two things happened. He said, I was infused with energy I didn't expect. And the thought, stand up and tell them about Lot and the city of Sodom. Tell them about that. And he gets up and he just starts telling them about Abraham and Lot and their relationship and what happened with the city of Sodom and that it was evil and that Lot was the only righteous man there and, and that God was going to wipe it out. And he just begins to tell that story. And in the other places, he saw the women kind of took it superficially initially, but didn't change it. And the next one, he, he saw some, some repentance. He said, and these people's faces was anger. He said, to the point in his, in, his, in his writing, his article, he said, to the point that I was afraid I was going to be attacked physically. And I didn't know what to do, so I just kept telling the story. And then he said, all of a sudden, something changed in the room, and one person took their gaze away from the anger at me, dropped their head, and began to cry. And then they began to repent that they had been far from God. They had lived a life unworthy of even the breath they were taking. And then another and then another. And within just a couple of minutes, the whole place was bowed in prayer. Some crying, some praying for others that they had, they had mistreated. And he said, I tried to keep preaching and it, it, they didn't need me. They weren't listening to me. So I looked at the old man and I said, I got another place to go. And I left. He said, I later found out they stayed there all afternoon, all evening into the next day. I had to leave when school started and they went to somebody's house and it continued. The repenting, the saying they'd lived without God, they'd lived awful lives. And he thought, wow, that's just amazing. He said a number of years ago, he's back in that same area. He never knew the name of the town. A young man came and said, do you remember that place such and such with the school? And then he goes, yeah. He goes, I was a young man in that room that day. I repented. I'm a pastor now. You think that was just a weird thing that happened. Let me tell you what actually happened. That place was called by all the surrounding towns because the depravity that existed in that town was called Sodom. And the old man that invited you was the only Christian in that town. So everybody called him Lot. And so when you began to tell the story of Sodom and Lot, they thought you knew. And then they realized you couldn't know. You didn't know. And that somebody else was reaching out to them, was telling them that life could be different. So it changed that town. So it changed my family. See, here's the deal. We try to manage this whole thing on our own. When God is available by the power of his Holy Spirit to do unbelievable things in us, for us, and through us. You can live differently. You were created. You were redeemed. Christ came, died on the cross so that you and I could live differently. When you move beyond 
our own abilities and allow him to be Lord, allow him to be in charge and to be confident in the commitment he's made to us. The commitment is Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. In other words, life can be hard, but he will keep working you. Troubles will come, but they are not to be wasted. They will grow your character. They will make you more dependent on God. They will make you more like Jesus, and he will complete you. He will make you more of who he wants you to be. Every trouble that comes, don't deny the troubles, and don't deny his power to work in them and through them. Submit them to him. Submit your powerlessness to him. Submit your bad habits to him. We have got to become people who know God and walk with Christ and experience the power of the Spirit because our world needs it. We need it. And lastly, be calm. Be calm. God is on your side. Here's what it says in Romans 8.31. What then shall we say in response to these things, all of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I will guarantee you, whether it's what's going on in the Middle East, upcoming elections, I could keep going. Increasing violence. What the world needs is some light, a non-anxious presence, and a hope. And it's not coming from anywhere else. It will need to come through us. If we know God, we walk with Jesus, we invite the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We can be calm. We can be non-anxious. We can be the light that is needed in a dark world. We just need to step into it. Take it serious and trust him. Let's pray. Lord God, today I am fully aware of the world and what's happening. I am confused about what should happen. I don't have any answers. I certainly don't have any power but I have you. And Lord God, I trust you. I trust you to get me out from one of the circumstances, to help me be an overcomer. Lord God, to help me experience the joy and the peace and the love that you have promised. I, help you to, I ask you to help me, Lord God, to keep my mind on your promises, on your word, on your character, your trustworthiness, your goodness, and not on the impossibility of the challenges around me. And Lord God, you will bring the solutions. You will bring the creativity. You will bring your power to bear it. And you will help me be all that you intended me to be. Help us become a force for you, for the goodness, the light, and the love that you want to shine through us to our world. We ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Thank you so much for being here. Have a great week. God bless. We hope you enjoyed this message, and remember, we also have live services out in our West Auditorium on Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings. Or you can always join us live online at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages to hear these messages in real time.